previously on Popping Collars. <laughs> yeah, but you said no happy ending. Like, Cinderella's a romance, and there's struggle in there. True. And I guess it's a happy ending. She gets accepted <laughs> into patriarchy. Besides that, it's a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Who didn't want that? Um, hey, you right, get Here's so the Fit in the end. That's, that's a yeah. pretty good ending. Sorry. Here's yeah. the Fit? Yeah. (laughs) Now that's a romance. (laughs) Me and my well-fitting shoe. You see Um, what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I get it. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. My name is Greg Knight. I am the director of children and youth ministries at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida. With me are my co-hosts, Betsy Gonzalez. Where are you these days, Betsy, and what are you up to? Oh, Greg, I'm back from spring break here in Alexandria at the Episcopal High School where I serve as head chaplain. Just had a great Vesper service tonight. So we're in the home stretch to graduation, my friend. Uh, we also have Liz Easton. Hi, Liz. Where are you? What are you up to? Hey, Greg. I'm coming to you from Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And um, it snowed today. That is yeah. ridiculous. In April, it snowed. I don't know if it snowed yesterday. It feels like it did the day before and the day before that. Are there white walkers there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It sounds like there are white walkers. Yes, yes. I'm coming to you from the wall. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They've clearly come past the wall. Who knew we needed the wall along the Canadian border? That's right? where we needed the wall, right? It's so point. true. The weather wall. Yeah, winter is never leaving. Is what yeah. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that something from Narnia? Maybe. Exactly. It's all always winter, but never Christmas. Never Christmas, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Okay, and, and that voice you heard is our special guest, <laughs> who, uh, who has been on every season of Popping Collars. It's Michelle Meeks. Yes! Welcome back, Michelle. Where are you? What are you doing these days? I'm in my kitchen, and I'm on vacation. I'm on a staycation. Um, I'm in Kingston, New York, with St. John's Episcopal Church in the Diocese of New York. Yeah, it's post-Easter vacation for me. This is episode 80 of Popping Collars, and our topic today is meaningful television episodes. Uh, A thing that's been happening in the pop culture lately are standout episodes of television series. I think Netflix even has an algorithm where they know which episode of a series you'll need to watch in order to guarantee that you'll binge the whole show. Wow. so we're going to go around our virtual roundtable here and each list off the episode of a television series that really stood out to each of us and what made that particular episode so meaningful. And since we tend to make our guests go first, we'll start with you, Michelle. What's your most meaningful episode of television? Well, it's unsurprising that what immediately flashed to my mind is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm -hmm. Um, Those of you that know me and love me or know me and really don't care for me at all, I still talk a lot about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. (laughs) I actually used it in a sermon a few weeks ago. And the episode I chose is the final episode, season seven, episode 22, the episode called Chosen. 
because Buffy's treated, I mean, the series is, she's a superhero, basically. She's got superpowers. The thing with superheroes is that they're always saving other people. And the difference, this is what makes Buffy different for me, is that Buffy shares her power in this episode. Mm. So at the very end, and it's it's a really wonderful buildup because the whole season talks about her power. So she talks about her power the whole time and people are pushing against her power the whole time. And then at the very end, she gives her power away to all of the um, potentials. In, the, in other words, all the potentials that could be the Slayer are imbued with Slayer power because she's able to give it away through her friend Willa, who is a badass Wicca. So, <laughs> so um, that's what is so meaningful to me is that it stops being about one person saving the world. And it's actually about how we're all infused with the power to save one another. Yeah. But the fact that she figures out that the best way to deal with evil is to give power away. That's not really heard of in, in except, you know, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, as far as I'm concerned. So, um, but we still want to give Jesus all the power. We want to push it back on him. And so and this he keeps is, pushing it away, pushes it away all the time. I think so too. That's how I read it. You know, thinking back on that episode now, in the cultural moment that we're in now, where women mm-hmm. are claiming this sort of, this me too voice and this, yeah. you know, it, it just, that feels like power and it feels like power being disseminated across, you know, just it being shared with each other. It's like the first responder, right. To a scene of the accident. You know, if you're the first responder, you, you have a sense, sense of responsibility to listen and to be there for that. And so that's sort of what the me too movement reminds me of is that we're all first responders to the story to believe people, to support people, to witness to what's happening. Because if we don't, then the risk is, is that they, their story gets erased or deleted and a part of them gets erased and deleted along with that. So. Well, it's also, you know, I remember that, you know, one of those transitional moments for me in, um, diversity work or whatever it was, you know, that, uh, you know, I'm speaking up for you. Like I've got the microphone. Cause of course I have the microphone cause I'm, you know, over here, white girl, right. I have the microphone and I'm going to speak up for you as opposed to saying, I have the microphone here. Take it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. I remember that first time in a training when somebody said that and I was like, Oh crap, they're right. Like, and like, yeah. that's what Buffy's doing. It's like, take the mic, take the mic. And yeah. But yeah, it's that you give people the mic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. If the Beastie Boys have taught us anything, <laughs> pass the mic. mic. All right, that's awesome, Michelle. Thank you. Uh huh. Bringing us back to Buffy. All right, uh, Betsy, what yep. is your meaningful TV episode, and why? Why is it meaningful? To you? When I started sitting here thinking, like, what what would I watch over and over? Again? What would I watch again? Right. Um, I went with Parks and Rec. Oh. I love that show. Love the characters on Parks and Rec. Which episode? Um, the fight. It is. I have to look at it. It's season three, because okay. we all know this was a slow starter. Yes, of a series. So it's season three, episode thirteen. So by this point, Rob Lowe has joined the show. Adam Scott okay. has joined the show, and um, he and Leslie are dating in secret. 
And, uh, and so Tom has bought shares in the snake hole lounge. <laughs> he's trying to market this drink he's created called snake juice. That okay. is essentially lots of booze mixed together with coffee and sugar in it. So it's kind of like Kahlua. <laughs> and so he's trying to encourage the office to help him market it. And then he's going to do a big launch party that they're all invited to go to. It has Anne and Leslie's friendship in it. Cause the fight is actually their fight. They get in like the first fight of their friendship. That kind of happens while they're all slowly getting drunk on snake juice. <laughs> it's got um, Chris Pratt, Aubrey Plaza doing, he's Burt Macklin, the FBI agent. They start role playing at the lounge, you know, and she's Janet Snakehole, a wealthy uh, heiress <laughs> with a small hat. Swanson uh, <laughs> doesn't endorse any product unless he wholeheartedly believes in it. And he tries it and he becomes a convert to snake juice. It's every character that you like in the show together. And what they do, I, I think what I've loved about the show is that it as a true ensemble with a ton of heart. Mm-hmm. And it just took some time for that ensemble to gel in the way that it could. And it's always that heart of sincerity that I love about the show. Cause like, They're fighting in the bar and they were totally acting out perhaps that drunk fight you might have had in the bathroom (laughs) with a friend be like, but I'm not mad at you, but you're mad at me. And I don't know why you're acting this way. And it's like, you're just like, see yourself in this mirror of this friendship. And I think that's just what I've always loved about the show is that in the end, no matter how they treat one another, they also care about each other. You know, even how they treat Jerry. I love that show. And I came to it pretty late after um, the, a strong recommendation from a friend. Mm-hmm. And what surprised me was for a comedy, like a half hour sitcom, how many times I legitimately cried. Yes. Like shed real tears. I was a freaking mess. The episode where they did the big um, fundraiser concert. Yes. For Connie. Oh my God. And oh, there's so many yeah. things. Any episodes with little Sebastian? Little Sebastian. Greg, um, <laughs> remember the, uh, when she's running for office and they do the rally at the ice rink mm-hmm. and they don't have enough money to get pay on your full feet. carpet and get on your feet plays over and over again. <laughs> They're all trying to make their way. I mean, it's just because they, they all give it, they all give it. I mean, in the similar, the Buffy, it's, they give it away. They give away yeah. the spotlight and they give it away to everybody else all the time. And it, and you're like, there's, there's, there's so many people on the show and it's half an hour. Yeah. And everybody gets great screen time. And it, what's lovely about the relationships in parks and rec is that they may disagree with each other. Ron and <laughs> Ron and Leslie certainly disagree with each other mm-hmm. on pretty much everything. Um, but they still care enough about each other and care enough about the relationship that a fight isn't going to separate them. Mm-hmm. And I feel like so often we kind of are drawn into this narrative of, Oh, well, if you disagree, just leave. Right. You know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it's nice to see that sort of healthy well, relationship kind of modeled. Yes. Of course the fight devolves into this silly mirror of like 23 year old drunk you fight. But the fight at its core was about the fact that Leslie's like, you know, Anne, if I don't push you, you'll stay still. And mm-hmm. she wanted to interview for this job. And I think that is 
that's not comedy material. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, my friend, she gets in the stasis and she won't do anything. So I'm pushing her to interview for this job. That's a real, that's a real deal. Thank you, Betsy. Yeah. All right. And now we will turn to Liz. Liz, what is your is television show episode? I have this vague memory of saying maybe even on this podcast during a um, staff pick of saying this was the best episode of television ever made. <laughs> oh, and, I have a vague memory of you saying that. But I right? I, I do too. About I have a real vague memory of it. So when I heard the topic of this, I was like, great, I'll go back and find that because I'm so smart. Blah, blah, blah. I can't remember it for the life of me. No clue. <laughs> no clue what I was talking about. And I'm kind of bummed because whatever episode it was, I thought was the best TV episode of all time. So tweet at us, regular listeners. <laughs> if you go back, peruse the archives. There's just 79 <laughs> episodes. Have fun. Listen I have them. no idea. So I'm kind of taking a little bit of a um, cheat here because the episode that I'm picking is widely regarded as one of the best television episodes of all time. Oh, no. So it's critical. I know it's not the season finale of MASH, which was excellent. It is instead the um, season finale of season two of the West Wing, Two Cathedrals. Oh, yeah. Oh, right? Well done. Well yeah, done. Yeah, thank you. So um, moving back to 2001. In this episode, uh, we President Bartlett it, it has just revealed to the country that he has MS. There's a big political fallout over that. And then his longtime secretary, Mrs. Mrs. Landingham, is killed Landingham. by a drunk driver. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the episode begins with him having to make the decision about whether or not to run for president again all in the context of him preparing for and attending the funeral of his beloved friend and secretary, which takes place at the National Cathedral. And it's also, I think, this more um, fundamental tension that you see throughout the West Wing in his devotion to God and his values as a Christian and a Catholic. And um, so that's one cathedral, the kingdom of God. And the other cathedral is this temporal power that has been given to him to be really the most powerful man in the world. So this other cathedral is the white house and the office of president. And one of the most beautiful scenes in the whole thing is after the funeral, he asks the secret service to close off the national cathedral for him to be by himself in the cathedral. And all episode long, he is having flashbacks and reminiscing to his time as a boy at this boarding school where his father was the headmaster and where he first met, Dolores Landingham, who then became his lifelong friend and kind of sidekick. And so there he is standing in the cathedral all by himself, this gorgeous national cathedral, right? Looking at the altar and he's just railing against God in part in English, part in Latin. He's so angry at God and it's a really raw expression of grief. And he's smoking a cigarette and he throws it on the floor of the national cathedral after taking one drag and crushes it out and sort of announces to God that he's not going to run for president again. Honestly, it's such a evocative scene. It is offensive and like dramatic and crass and it's great. The it's a, it's a real character study in him as a president, especially because of this reflection on his 
young adulthood with an abusive father and um, sort of a superior himself having a superior intellect and then sort of meeting this woman. And one similar to the conversation we just had about Buffy, well, and Parks and Rec, um, one of the things that's really beautiful about the ensemble nature of West Wing is that it shows how all of these people's gifts come together to help lift up a leader and help bring out a leader's gifts for the greater good. It's really beautiful reflection on leadership and on faith. Mm-hmm. But what What's happening with Josh and Donna in the episode? <laughs> you know, it's hard when we face our weaknesses because they remind us that we're human. But you're right. I mean, he is, I mean, he's, he's almost a superhero character, right? Yep. He doesn't have um, too many flaws until you start to pull it apart a little bit. And he's broken. He's so, he's just, he's just doing the best he can do. And that's what we're all doing. And and instead of trying to put ourselves or trying to insist that someone else get on a pedestal for us, how about we just realize we're all just down here doing the best we can and we're all yeah. beloved and we're all broken. And he's just as scared as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Good, Liz. Thanks for taking us back to the West Wing. You're welcome. You can catch our West Wing episode and our Buffy episode in our archives, by the way. Yes, you and can. you might hear Liz's recommendation. Of- <laughs> oh, yeah, the best thing you've ever heard. What could it episode. be? So check the archives for our, for our long-form thoughts on these properties. <laughs> we don't have a Parks and Rec episode. Well, speaking of the West Wing and Bradley Whitford, um, that is actually my pick is from the first season of ER, the first season of ER. So way back in 1995, uh, the episode that still I can vividly remember even now was, uh, an episode probably about midway through the season called love's labor lost. Also Um, regarded as one of the best TV shows of all time. Yes. You're also on the hit list too, Greg. (laughs) (laughs) Just saying I did some Googling today. Yep. Oh, there you go. Um, It's also heavy Clooney action. Heavy Mark Green action. Oh, 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 Anthony Edwards. Oh, yes. yes, Anthony Edwards action. You know, it's an ensemble show. And so this is the first one to really kind of focus on one cast member for the majority of the episode. And it's on uh, Dr. Mark Green, who's kind of the... He's like the the experienced doctor on staff. He's the ER doctor that's seen it all, done it all. He's helping to train uh, new residents um, in the ER there, and he gets uh, he gets an OB case. He gets a he gets a, a pregnancy. I want to say the woman's like two weeks away from her due date or something like that. Um, high blood pressure and uh, sort of treats it, and then sends her on her way. And it turns out that uh, the woman uh, has complications, uh, ends up uh, having her baby, but she dies during labor. And the the episode sort of takes takes part over sort of the course of this night while while this tragedy is sort of playing out. And the reason that the show, the reason I remember it, and the reason it sticks in my head is because of a, a very specific um, direction and shot that happens where. Uh, Dr. Green has to go and tell the husband, Bradley, played by Bradley Whitford, that they've lost his wife, that his wife has died. And the way that it's shot, and it's, it's brilliant, the director is Mimi Leader, who's um, directed a bunch of episodes of 
of everything of like breaking bad and game of thrones and all that stuff. The way that she shoots it is through a door and uh, it's the door to the, to the nursery actually, where the, where, where uh, Bradley Whitford is holding his baby and Dr. Green walks in and the door closes. And so the scene plays out in silence as you're looking through the window Mm. and you just see Bradley Whitford sort of break down while Dr. Green's talking to him. And I think that the reason that sticks with me is because it's a really powerful image, but it also like, it's easy to put yourself in the shoes of the doctor in that situation. What, what do you say? I was living in Chicago at the time. Like ER came out when I was at Northwestern. So I was like, Ooh, all these Chicago shows, Chicago hope ER, you know, that they, they were interviewing all these ER doctors to get stories for the show. And this was, this came from one of the interviews of what's your worst nightmare. You know, it's got that idea that we've already said in this episode of doing the best that you can with the stuff that you have in the moment that you're in mm-hmm. and that you, you screwed up and that you miss it. And, yeah. And that, in that sense of, you know, early in that episode, like Mark Green has everything under control, you know, he's living in out that superhero narrative. And he, I, I think, yeah, they are short staff because the OB staff isn't there. And he's, he just sort of cockily says, like, I can take this. This is no big deal. I've got this covered, you know, yeah. treats her and then sends her on her way. And that, that's ultimately what leads to it. Right. And so, yeah, you do get the sense of like, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the superhero. I can do this. I can, I can do that. And then to step into that space and everything to go sideways on you, you start to realize just how powerless you are sometimes. You know, this whole conversation makes me realize that um, the either the pressure we put on ourselves to be the hero or the pressure we put on other people to be the hero sort of like, especially when you think of doctors, right? So there's, there's a sense of, I can, I can be the, the hero. I don't need anyone's help. I can. And even if that's not coming, it's not an, a, really about ego as much as it's about fear. Mm-hmm. Like if I don't, step up if I'm not the hero if I'm not this person that I think everyone needs me to be and maybe I'm talking about myself here (laughs) (laughs) if I'm not yeah (laughs) then I'm failing everybody right it's so it's, it's not it is egoic but it's not the kind of ego that we think it is it's this ego of not of feeling like we might fail people I have often thought that, and this is certainly true in my life, and it's true as I work with people in the ordination and discernment processes, that more often than not, I think that clergy are called to our roles through and because of our own brokenness. And I don't mean that in like a wounded healer way. I mean that in like, we haven't even figured out that it's broken yet (laughs) by the time that we've gotten through all those committees. And then you show up on the other side of it and you're like, oh no. Oh no. What What in the, yeah, what have I done? And I sincerely believe that that's a real call, that that's exactly what God does is works through, you know, and transforms our broken places and gives us the power to lead through them. But it is a form of ego. You know, it's the, it's like a Jungian form of ego that um, it's not our true self. Yeah. You don't want to end up in a place where you're crushing cigarettes out in front of the altar on the night. (laughs) I almost did it right after my ordination there, Greg. (laughs) Can we just go to the cathedral? 
The warden, uh, the warden Anne needs some time alone. And <laughs> can yeah, we seal off go. the cathedral? Can we seal off the cathedral? I can do that. I'm canonically <laughs> resident here. Yeah. Can I? I'm a traditional deacon. I can excuse, do that. Excuse me. Can we just clear it out? Clear it out. <laughs> yes. Uh. Yeah, no, but just that sense. Yeah, what you were talking about, Liz, where it's like, I got this, I got this. Oh, crap, I don't got this. Mm. Uh, screw it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. Bang, crush. Good job, guys. Yeah. I like this. This was, was a good fun. conversation. Yeah. Because Michelle's one of the most kick-ass guests we have on this podcast. Wow. I really constantly invite her back. She pulls it together. <laughs> she does the... I am the superhero of popping collars. <laughs> <laughs> I did it. I did it. It was me. time for our staff pick and liz has our staff pick this time liz what have you got for us i do so this is a little unusual um i'm gonna recommend a book that i haven't read yet bear with me All right I it's like a where this is going <laughs> yeah it's, it's a bestseller so i think that um it you know people are reading it and liking it i can do it in confidence but um it's a book called i'll be gone in the dark by michelle mcnamara have you oh, guys heard of this yeah just yes. listen to the, the, um, my favorite murder. Yes. So Michelle McNamara was a true crime writer and sort of amateur investigator who became obsessed with a series of um, serial crimes in serial sexual assaults and serial murders in Southern California all around the same time. And through her sort of amateur sleuthing and working with, um, with detectives and people along the way, she was able to connect all of these crimes together and realize that they were in fact committed by one person. And she um, rebranded that person to be known as the golden state killer. And she became just completely obsessed with this case. And according to all of the investigators who were working with her, she was very, very close to solving the murder through her exhaust the the identity of the murderer through her exhaustive research, and then she suddenly died. And um, at the age of forty six, um, she wasn't sick. It was a huge shock, and she left behind this body of work that had not been completed. And she was very close to solving this crime. Her husband, the actor and comedian Patton Oswalt, sort of funneled his grief into getting people together to help finish the book. And they published the book and he did it as sort of an homage to her. And also because he had a really fierce commit, like a really incredible belief in her ability to solve this mystery. 
and respected the work that she had done so much. So the book was released. It's called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Haven't read it yet, but I have listened to several podcasts and interviews of Patton Oswalt talking about the book because now he's done the tour. Yeah. Now he, he's doing the tour in her stead and it's just like a fascinating heartbreaking thing Mm. to listen to him talk because first of all, he's just incredibly articulate about his own grief in a way that's like just super raw and revealing also about his love for her, which is like hashtag relationship goals this amazing, amazing level of commitment to their partnership and just sort of like a still a starry eyed love and reverence for her, but also just sort of the bittersweetness of him having to do this tour and just thinking in every place he goes, she should be here. She should be here. And real, he also believes that the crime will be solved. And then that he says that he looks forward to that day because it will be a victory for her and for her work, but it will be the last thing that tethers him to her it, you know, that she, she won't get to see that. And then it will be over. It's just, the whole story is incredible. And even if you're not a true crime fan, at least check out, just like Google around and try to find an interview with Patton Oswalt talking about Michelle McNamara. It's pretty moving. And by all accounts, the book is unlike a lot of true crime books, the book is really beautifully written. She was a super talented writer. I love it. I love it. All right. You can find Popping Collars on the web at poppingcollarspodcast.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash poppingcollars, where you can like us. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at poppingcollars. Uh, by the way, we have t-shirts. You should buy one. It's all the cool kids are going to be wearing them this summer. I have one. Just 10 bucks. Summer, there you go. They're tank tops? Uh, we do not have tank tops. But you can cut the... Without guns you, out? Isn't it going to be tank tops season? Uh, you can cut the sleeves off. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Liz identifies herself as a cool kid. So if Liz has one, you can have one too. Yes, absolutely. Just $10 plus shipping <laughs> and handling. And you support this show. How great is that? That's Just so go cool. to poppingcollegepodcast.com slash t-shirts. That's poppingcollegepodcast.com slash the letter T hyphen shirts. Shirts. There you go. <laughs> um, and also, we are featured on Episcopal Cafe each and every single time. We love EpiscopalCafe.com. We know you will as well. Check them out for all your Episcopal news, needs, and beyond. And with that, that is Poppin' Collar for this time. Thank you, Betsy. Thank you, Liz. Thank you, Michelle, for coming on Yay. the show. We will see you next time. Keep those collars popped. <laughs>